If you have a Bible, let's turn to Psalm 103. The Lord was putting this psalm in my heart. I think as we read through it, you'll, you'll kind of understand why Mark, uh, before first service, asked me, what are you going to teach on? And I said, on Psalm 103. And he said, um, what is it about? You know, and I said, everything. It's, a, it's about everything, you know, and, and you'll see as we read through it. But why don't we go ahead and um, just read the first two verses. It's a psalm of David, and it says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, we're not sure when um, David uh, wrote this, this psalm. He's credited uh, with writing it. Most commentators, including uh, C.H. Spurgeon, believe that David wrote it uh, in his latter years. And, and that's kind of easy to understand, right? Those of us that are a little older, we, we, we were aware of more things, right? Uh, I'm not dissing on the young people, but we've been through things. Um, you know, we're, we're just aware of, of life and the things that are going on. Besides where we left our keys, we're aware of things, right? Um, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're aware of sin. And when I say that, I don't, I don't say it in a, in a way where we're going to be condemned uh, for it, but because as Christians, through repentance, through faith in Christ, um, we have more appreciation, right, for, uh, for God's mercy, for, for his love. And so when it comes to this issue of, of, of mercy, and, and grace, which is what this psalm is all about. We're going to see as we continue reading through it. I think that if you ask any Christian, they would say, I get it. You know, I get it. But I also think that we get it, but we can also forget it. And if I uh, had a title uh, for this, story, this, this passage today, this psalm would be never forget. We, we hear that word, right? You know, I think that the Jews have this saying, never forget, which is to remember the Holocaust. We have a saying in this country, you know, remember the Alamo, right? At, at 9-11, we say, uh, we will never forget. And, and there's specific things um, that have happened, trials that have happened that we need to remember why they happened so that we can do something about happening again. This is different. We need to remember God's benefits, his love for us, because that will be life-changing, Right? Um, now, I, I, before we, we kind of dwell into what, what, what mercy and grace is, I, I think it's important that we talk about what it is. What does it mean? What does mercy mean? It's been described simply as not getting what you deserve, right? Romans um, 3.23 tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is, is death. It's death, right? And so that means the Rose Hills death, but it also means eternal death in hell. Uh, Jesus uh, he, he talked more about hell than he did heaven. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to go there. He talked about the fact that it's a place where there will be eternal weeping and a gnashing of teeth. That speaks of pain. That speaks of torment. We don't want anyone to go there. David understood that. He understood the mercy and the grace of God. He knew that he needed both of those things in his life, and therefore he, he cherished them, and he celebrated them. He rejoiced in them. Um, but I was thinking because, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't always rejoice, you know, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, do I sin? Do I sin when I don't, when I don't obey the command to rejoice? Romans 5.11 says, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, whom we have now received the reconciliation. Um, I'm a sinner. I fall so short. And yet Christ has reconciled me to him, to the Father, to God. That's a reason to rejoice no matter what it is that I'm going through in life. And so David says, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. When I read this, I kind of see David talking to himself. 
you know, I don't know if you guys talk to yourself, but I almost see like David checking himself, you know. He's activating every part of himself, all that is within me, he says, starting with the soul but incorporating the body and the mind. For what? To, to bless God, to be aware of his benefits, right? Um, again, do you ever talk to yourself? I, I think that there's people like, like high-level athletes, you know, or, or someone that's about to do something that just it, it involves everything about them that, that, that they talk to themselves. You see them, you see these basketball players, and they're like, come on, you know, come on. Um, you, you, you hear that term, let's go, right? And, and what they're doing is they're, they're in, in some ways psyching themselves up. They're, they're getting activated to do that task that they've been called to do. Well, David isn't psyching himself up, but he's in some way activating. He's activating his spirit. The spirit is, is in some ways a seed of our emotion, right? And so he's saying, wake up, wake up. The other day, my wife and I were watching this, uh, this movie. It was a boxing movie, but it was about uh, Jews and, and what this particular man had to do in order to survive the Holocaust. And this, this movie started with him in front of a mirror getting ready for a fight, uh, a fight later, once he had already survived the Holocaust. I just told you the whole movie, so sorry about that. Um, but anyways, he's punching himself in the face, right? What was he doing? He was activating. He was activating his face. He was getting ready to receive what he was about to get. And so David is in some ways doing that. He's activating everything about him to what? To worship the Lord. You know, I was thinking that so much of the time we're, we're dictated by how we're feeling. You know, you, you, you ask somebody, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing all right, you know. Um, how about today? How are you doing? I'm not doing so good today. Uh, the next day you see them, you know, how about today? I'm great today. Um, as if we, we, we check in with our feelings to determine how we're doing. David said, I'm not going to check in with my feelings. I'm going to direct my feelings. Therefore, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, I remember watching novelas uh, as a kid. If you don't know what novelas are, Spanish soap operas, all right? I was a kid. I know what you're thinking. They're called novelas because you shouldn't novelas, right? But we only had one TV. We were poor. Cut me some slack. Um, but you see these scenes in these novelas, especially in novelas. But maybe you guys have even experienced this, right, where... A younger person is going to go somewhere. They're going to go to work. They're going to leave for the day. They're, they're going on a trip or something like that. And then they go to grandma and they say what? Dame las bendiciones, right? Bless me, right? Well, that's not what this is talking about. Because someone could read this and be like, what do you mean bless God? Like, how do I bless God? He's God. Um, that's not what this is talking about. Though uh, Jacob uh, blessed who? Joseph's sons, right? And so we know that that's biblical. But what this is talking about here, it's it's speaking more of saluting God. It, it, the word uh, bless is the word barak in the Hebrew, and it's speaking of kneeling, of acknowledging God. It's, an express, it's, it's expressing praise for God. It's, it's an exclamation of gratitude and admiration for what he's done. Um, you know, we sang that song, right? I, I had asked, you know, Joseph and Ariana and Ali to sing that song before, you know, the study, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And some of you guys, I was blessed to hear you. You really did bless the Lord through that song. We could bless God through song, can't we? But the reality is that we're not, we don't always do that. Even though we're singing, even though our lips are moving, we're going through the motion, we're busy, we're, we're, we're distracted with something, we're thinking about what we're going to do later, and, and we need to be present. We need to be like David that almost says, hey, hey, wake up. 
It's time to bless God. There's a reason, there's a privilege, there's a purpose to bless God. And, and so he thinks, why should we bless God? Well, in verse 2, the second part says, because if not, you're going to forget his benefits. And forget not his benefits. Uh, Pastor Manny always reminds us, if the devil can't get you to doubt, he will get you to forget. Through busyness, right? We, we, could, we could be forgetful people. We could not member, member? We could not member. And so David knew that he could be a forgetful person. And, and so can we if we're not constantly in communion with him, if we're not trying, trying to f- not forget. The Old Testament believers, if you guys recall, in Joshua, they were instructed to stack stones on top of each other for what? So that they wouldn't forget. So that they would remember the works of God and what God had done. Right? For us, New Testament believers, what are we called to do? Communion, right? Jesus, right, as, he was, as he, was, he was having the last supper with the disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. We're called to do co- co- communion. Why? Because we tend to forget. We're forgetful people. And again, I don't think it's because, you know, we want to forget. I think mainly it's because we're so busy. We're, we're so busy. I thought of the 10 lepers that Jesus healed in Luke 17. Uh, you guys know the story, right? He healed 10 leopards. He told them to go and, and, and present themselves to the priest, which was a custom for the Jews to do. But only one came back, the Samaritan of all people. Only he came back to give thanks. Well, what happened to the other nine lepers? We're not told what happens, but the lepers left. Huh? They, they, they took off. Maybe, maybe since they were no longer lepers and they were free, they had things to do, businesses to conduct, bills to pay, house repairs to do, vacations to plan. Perhaps they were so busy that they forgot. And so we have to work at remembering. Someone said, I wanted to figure out why I was so busy, but I I couldn't find the time to do it. (laughs) And so a lot of the times, if we're honest, especially us Californians, right, we tend to be be busy. Uh, Life has a way of distracting us. It has a way of allowing us only to see those things in front of us, the pressing trials, the worries before us, the bills, the family issues. That's all we can see sometimes. But it would be wise not to forget the benefits of God. Do you have good benefits? I bet you some of you would say, oh, yeah, I have paid leave, automatic bonus, health insurance, dental insurance, gym membership, education incentives, 401K, free lunch, and I even get weekly massage. Well, two things. I would say keep your job because that's a pretty good hookup, right? And the second one is that's not what I mean. Do you have good benefits as far as life, salvation, peace, protection, provision, faith, purpose, mercy, forgiveness, grace, favor, wisdom, relationship, direction through his word and by his spirit? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you do. You do, and it would be wise if we never forget that. David mentions a few, a few of the benefits here. Look at what it says in verses 3 through 5. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I mean, if, 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 if we could just find one thing to bless the Lord. We can spend the rest of our life blessing him for forgiving us of our sins. 
I mean, when I look at that, this psalm, I see Jesus all over it. We were forgiven of all our sins, not just some of them. Notice it says, of all your iniquities, of all our sins. When John the Baptist saw Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, what did he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, the Father made the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He forgives all our iniquities because he placed all our iniquities on Jesus. We, therefore, should never forget that. But this reminds us, huh, that in order for God to forgive us of our sins, we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we have to ask him for forgiveness, right? We have to keep short accounts with God. C.S. Lewis said that we have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin, but mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of sin. He also said it's not enough to want to get rid of one's sins. We also need to believe in the one who saves us from our sins. Amen? Have you done this? Have you admitted? Have you copped to it? Have you dealt with the fact that you've sinned? It shouldn't be hard. The Bible tells us that all fall short of the glory of God. But the more important question is, have you believed on the one who saves you from sins? He's the only way. John 14, 6. He said it. Now, this, this, this verse that we read where it says that he heals, Right? How many of us can testify of being healed from an infirmity, a, a disease, a plague, some form of, of healing? I bet you, if, if I can ask some of you, a lot of you guys would say, me, he's, he's healed me from this. And, and I was thinking, you know, when I was reading this, because there's, 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 there's a tougher issue that we have to deal with, but I, I was thinking that I think I or we take it for granted because we can get a cold and get over it be healed, and, and just think it's nothing. You know, God heals us from our diseases and making our bodies with the immune system in order to be able to heal, guys. And we got to give God glory for that. We got to look at that verse and say, oh yeah, he does. He's made my body in a certain way. You cut yourself and two weeks later, that cut is no longer there. Why? Because you've been healed by God through your immune system, through your body. He made man with the ingenuity to practice medicine to be able to what? Heal us. And a lot of us have been healed in that way. Not always, but aren't you glad that we live in a country where we can go to the hospital if we needed to? Where there's medicine. I know that men, they can overdo it and they prescribe us things they shouldn't, but we got to thank God for giving man the ingenuity, for healing us through man. Uh, we also know as believers, right, we're not one of those name it and, and, and claim it type of churches, but we also know without a shadow of a doubt that God can say the word and that individual, that situation can be healed. Do you believe that? Amen. We have to. But I know that some of you might be thinking, what's this? All your diseases. What about this ailment that I still have, Henry? What about that person or this situation? What about this person who passed? I just finished telling you about the Bohr family. And man, my heart goes out to you. Our bodies, whether we like it or not, are are dying. They're, They're dying. It's the curse of, of sin. And, and, and it hurts. It hurts to lose someone. We've lost too many. Just in this past two years, we've lost too many just within this church. But this verse, I think, should be looked at 
not so much as a promise, but as a testimony of what God can do. I mean, have you thought about all that, the healing that God does that we're not even aware of? The, 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 the different infections, the viruses, the things that are out there that are trying to get to us, the cancers that are trying to get to us, that our bodies are just able to, to say no. We're not even aware of it. I mean, that's an amazing thing to think about, and we've got to give God glory for that. I, I don't know if I believe in guardian angels, but if one day it happens to be true and I mean mine, he's going to be mad at me because he's going to be all beat up. I just think because all the things that I put him through, right? And I got to give God the glory for that. He's the healer of the body as well as the soul. So it says, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I think that, that those two verses right there are an amazing example of what I what started talking about, mercy and grace. Because who redeems your life from destruction, what does that show us? Mercy. How many of you guys can testify, I was headed for destruction? This doesn't necessarily have to mean hell. We know that ultimate destruction is going to lead us to hell, but I was, ask me where I was going. Really, really, ask me where I was going. I was going to destruction. I was headed to destruction. If it were not by the grace of God, I would be dead. I would be in prison. I would be hooked on something. I know without a shadow of a doubt it's by God's grace that I'm here. I never thought I was going to live past 35. I'm 50 years old now. I'm serving the Lord. He's called me to serve him. I mean, God is just, he's blown my mind. He can do that. Mercy, who redeems your life from destruction. Mercy. And then, like if that's not enough, he says, who crowns you with loving kindness and mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's a picture of grace. He redeems you from the life of destruction and then he gives you a crown and he crowns you with his love. He crowns you with his mercy. He crowns you so that even in our latter life, our lives can be renewed. John 10, 10, right? is a verse that we should all remember that thief does not come except to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Is your life more abundant now that you've come to Christ? I hope it is. I I told you I was headed to destruction. I was on the road to destruction, death. I I would not have a family. I would not have a wife. And yet I'm here. Jesus redeemed me. He paid for me. And if that's not enough, he crowned me with his kindness. Not just any kindness, but loving kindness. Not just any mercy, but tender mercy. And then it says, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Now, I don't know if you guys are foodies. I don't know if you like food. I bet you a lot of you are already thinking about where you're going after, right? But I don't think this is just talking about food. I mean, thank God for food, amen? I think this is also referring to the spiritual food, the good things. The fact that God, no matter what comes in, he he will find a way to make it good. We're going to talk about perspective. Remember, Jesus said, you guys go eat tacos in John 4, 34. He didn't say that. That's Henry's paraphrase. But my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food, Jesus said. He also says in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who trusts in him. 
So this isn't just talking about him satisfying us with those things that from a human standpoint we think are good because I got a secret for you. Not everything that we think is good from a human perspective is. I mean, I'm just like you. I want the blessings. I want the things. I want God to, 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 to shower me with blessings. I don't want to worry about bills. I don't want to worry about that. I don't want to worry about what happens when you're 60, 65. So I don't want to, okay? I want to be blessed, but I don't think this is just talking about what, what, what I think God wants me to do is just to trust him. I'm not sure if you guys get the, the daily devotions that, that we send out, um, but if you get a chance, read today's. It's, it's really good. Um, Jonathan, uh, our brother, wrote it today, and he wrote it out of Proverbs 15, 15. It says, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Why would someone have a merry heart? Because they know Jesus, they know the Lord, right? And that person has a continual feast in their heart, in their soul. He says, you know, when, when, when life hits you, when there's things that go on that you say, uh-oh, it's a matter of perspective, and God changes our perspective. He, he, he allows us. None of us want to go through trials or tribulation, but those of us that have, we could now look back and recognize, okay, Lord, perspective. You were doing that. You taught me this. You don't want me to do that. that that's what God does through these things. And, 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 and because we're Christians, now we understand what Romans 8.28 means, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. We can always worship and praise God. Interesting, I was reading, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I know some of you are here thinking my Eagle Scout days are over. That ship has sailed. I can't even eat Girl Scout cookies anymore. <laughs> but Isaiah forty thirty one says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Did you guys know that the eagle has a capacity to do something that's called molt? And what that means is they lose their old feathers and they gain new ones. How many of you have gained new feathers here, right, as you've come to the Lord? 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Right? That's a promise that, that, that as we walk with the Lord, as we trust the Lord, that inward man is going to be renewed day by day. What happens to our outside is not a promise. God can heal us of our diseases, but that's more of a testimony than a promise. Look what he says. He mentions other benefits in verses 6 through 7. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Now, the Lord executes righteousness. David now goes from a person to, to people, right? The fact that those that are oppressed, and, and, and I mean, I know you're probably like me, you're, you're automatically thinking of the Jews. They've gone through so much that God is a God of justice. That justice will be met. Even though we don't see it on this side of time, justice will be met. It will. Psalm 9.9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. David, again, goes from the person to the people. And Manny mentioned it on Thursday, two million Jews dead at the, at the hands of the Romans throughout history. Six million dead at the hands of the Nazis. And, and you're thinking, Lord, how does this is your people? These are the people, that, the apple of your eye. How does this happen? I don't know the answer, but I know that justice will be met, no matter what. Justice will prevail. 
In verse 7, it says, he made, his, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. This verse speaks of God's grace in speaking to men. The thought that God would speak to a man should be mind-boggling to us. The fact that God revealed himself to Moses, a man who, you know, by all accounts stuttered or, or had some kind of speech defect, should tell us something about God, that he's personal, that he's compassionate, that he's not afraid of our shortcomings, definitely not as much as we are. He'll use those shortcomings. He uses the weak, guys, to shame the strong. Do you qualify as weak? Then he could use you. I mean, when you think about it, God could have spoken to us directly through him. He did, right? Through Jesus. He could have spoken to us through the angels. The Bible tells us that one day he will speak through an angel in Revelation 14, 6. But by his spirit, he's chosen to speak to us as men. Through his word. To the Jews. To Moses. Not because they're good or we're good, but because God is good. In Deuteronomy 7 he says, the Lord did not set his love on you, the Jews, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the people. And then it goes on to say in verse 8, but because the Lord loves you. That's why God chooses to use us. That's why God chooses to reveal himself to us, because he loves us. So David now turns his back to God's personal benefits again, of mercy and grace. And he continues to tell us, never forget. Look what we read in verses 8 and 9. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Again, let me bring you back to the way this psalm started. Bless the Lord. This is reason for us to bless the Lord, his benefits. I think David was saying, man, I want to worship you completely, God, with all my heart, not lip service. Why? Because you're merciful, because you're gracious, because you will not always strive with us. That means he's not always going to be bringing an accusation because you're not going to stay angry forever, because you're not going to deal with us according to our sins, because you're not going to punish us the way that we deserve. Psalm 86, 5, I'm going to read... um, Two psalms and then our psalm that we're covering trade, all attributed to David. Psalm 86, 5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. You drop down 10 verses, but you, O Lord, are God, full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. And then Psalm 145, 8, again, all attributed to David. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great. And mercy. I think that's why Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. If you find yourself here today, someone invited you, you just came in and you're not sure about what this whole thing means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, man, harp on that. God says, man, if you just turn to me, if you just face me, If you just ask for forgiveness, if you cop to it, if you admit to it, I will have mercy on you and I will abundantly pardon. I love the fact that, you know, where it says he's not going to strive with us. He he doesn't continually bring a court case against us. He has enough evidence, right? I mean, he's got evidence, right, coming up everywhere, but he refuses to do so. He has a right to be angry with us, but he foregoes that right. 
Um, you guys remember in the Old Testament, the Jews had to bring a sin offering in order to cover their sins. It was only for a short time to cover their sins, right? So they took from their stable, I imagine, a goat here, a lamb today. Uh, what do you got left today, David? Just a, a dove? Okay, we'll bring it, right? And the neighbors could tell that they were sinning because their stable kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. There goes Zion again. I bet you there was a lot of cheese meant back then. But God doesn't deal with us that way. It's between us, right? He just says, hey, bring it before me. Be transparent before me. We don't need to go announce it. Yes, the Bible says that we're to confess our sins to brothers, but that's more so that we can have fellowship, help each other, carry each other's burdens. But what we do is between us and God. David says, I have sinned against you and only you only, right? And so he doesn't, he doesn't deal with us the way that he should. According to our sins, he doesn't punish us the way that we deserve. Now, all that to say that God does get angry. You guys understand that, right? What kind of God would he be if he didn't get angry when we sinned? Right? He's, a, he's, a, he's a just God, and he's a loving God. But he's slow to anger, and he abounds in mercy towards us. No daily accusations, no grudges, no punitive damages, no double jeopardy with God. Sometimes he spanks us. You guys been spanked by God? And we make a stink about the littlest tap. What do we say? He must not love me, right? When all he wanted was just to divert our path from destruction, to show us, no, not this way, mijo. Let me hit you so that you do it another way. But right away, we're like, well, God doesn't love me. Uh, Brother Carlos sent me a video uh, the other day, and I hope it's okay. I showed it to first service. I think, you know, that's appropriate, but maybe we can show it right now. When he sent me that video, I automatically thought, yeah, that's a gamer for you, right? But also, that's us. We're like Dalton. We're like Dalton. God, God does a, the smallest tap. He does the smallest thing, and right away we're like, oh, he doesn't love me. I'm running away with the skateboard and a Minecraft sword, right? We act like that with God sometimes, but I think it's wise to understand what the Bible teaches us. In Hebrews 12, it says, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, verse 5 and 6? My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. I remember growing up having friends that had parents that let them do whatever they wanted. They would party with them. They would get high with them. And I thought, man, I want parents like that. They could do whatever. And now, you know, you run into these friends and they're in prison with their father or they're dead or they're hooked on drugs or something. We, we shouldn't despise the chasing of the Lord because it's for our own good. He loves us. He's slow to anger. He won't stay angry forever. But we have to recognize that he gets angry because he's jealous for us. He loves us. Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, 
the Son in whom he delights. So we can do this, this, this thing that, 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 that David is calling us in the psalm because of verse 9 and 10. And other verses like it, Psalm 130, verse 3, if you, the Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So if God were to mark all our iniquities, would we be able to ever stand before him? No. In Lamentations 3.22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. What is God asking for us? All that he wants from us is that we be transparent. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. That passage goes on to say, if you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. Because all sin. He says, I just want you to confess it. I just want you to be honest. David continues proclaiming God's mercy. Look what it says in verses 10 through 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. Now there's something called the Carmen line. How many of you have ever heard of the Carmen line? With the K, K K-A-R-M-A-N, Carmen line. It it, it speaks of 100 kilometers, 62 miles, 330,000 feet above the earth's sea level, that there's this point that man has determined that the sky stops being the sky and it becomes space. Silly man, I think God's up in heaven saying, I just call it the heavens, man. I don't know what this whole big deal about is, right? But the point I'm trying to make is, is science through science can answer many things. Some they get right, some they get wrong, some the science is still out. But one thing they haven't been able to figure out is the limit of the sky. How, how far does the sky go? They keep adding to it. They keep adding to it. They don't know. I mean, it, it would cause our peanut brains to burst, right? And yet, that's what this verse is saying. As far as the heavens are, are, are high above the earth, so great is my mercy towards those who fear him. If we owned that verse, if we owned it, how would our walk be different? How would our love be different? If we understood the immense grace, love, mercy that God shows us. The next thing that he proclaims is found in the first part of verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. Now if you speak to uh, apologists, they would say this is, this is proof that the Bible was written by God because there was no way of, of David knowing if the world was round back then. And yet he said this. I mean, some people still think it's flat. Go figure, right? The Holy Spirit knew. And, and, and it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that David wrote this magnificent statement. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. Think about what this means. North means south at the South Pole, and south meets north at the North Pole. But east and west never meet. Have you ever heard someone say, I'll meet you at the East Pole or the West Pole? That ain't going to happen because they don't exist, right? If you keep going north, eventually you'll be going south. And likewise, keep going south, and sooner or later you're going to be headed north. But if we go east, we're always going to be going east. If we go west, we're always going to be going west. And that's the significance of David saying, as far as the east is from the west. There's no measuring God's mercy for you guys. There isn't. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that says, that's it. You're a three-striker or a ten-striker or a twenty-striker, whatever the case may be, you're out. No, there is no, no measuring God's mercy, and we need to know that. That's not saying that that's an excuse to sin, because we're going to have to deal with the repercussions of our sin, of the spanking, but never question God's love. 
The next two verses are probably one of the verses that are closest to my heart because it tells us why God is so merciful and gracious to us. Look what it says. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How does God love us? Like a father. Like a father. I was trying to remember so hard. I'm old and I forget things. This song that um, we used to worship uh, at the previous church, my wife and I used to go when, when we got saved. And it was a song by, I think Chris Tomlin sings it, but other people sing it. Wonderful Maker. Do you guys know that song? And, you know, there's, there's a lyric that says, with the strength of no other. Now, I can, I can definitely track with that. When I think of God, when I've always thought of God is, there's no one like God. No one can match God, right? With the strength of no other, yeah. But then the very next part of the song says, in the heart of a father. I, I couldn't track with that. I didn't grow up knowing a father. I never met a father in my life. So the, the, the love of a father was foreign to me. I couldn't associate with, 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 with what a father's love is. I could associate with the strength of God, but not the love of God. But then as I continued to discover God through his word, I remember there came a time through worship that those lyrics would come on and just tears would roll down my cheek because I knew that God loved me as a father. I understood the love of a father. I think we need to worship God, not because we're great lovers, but because he is. He's a great lover. And when I, when I read this as a father, it, it brings me so much hope because me as a, as a wicked man, I can love my children no matter what. How much more can God, who's perfect, love me? Because he loves me like a father. This verse shows us how personal he is. Besides God, all right, who knows our children better than we do? Nobody. They're so different, huh? Those of you that have you know, children, you know some are needy, some are silly, some are quiet, some are not, some are emotional, some are unemotional. The way that we know our kids, God knows us even better. I remember when I was a kid, I would try to pass things on, on my mother, you know, try to, try to be sneaky. And she would say this, this saying in Spanish, Ya te conozco, Mosco. <laughs> if you don't know Spanish, basically what that is is, I already know you, you can't fool me. Right? And, and, and then we can't fool God. And yet he, he, he pities us. He pities us for trying to fool him. He pities us for our frailties. I like what C.H. Spurgeon once pondered um, as he was thinking about God pitying us. He says, he pities our childish ignorance. He pities our childish weakness. He pities our childish foolishness. He pities our childish naughtiness. He pities our childish stumbles and falls. He pities the pain of his children. He pities a child when another has wronged him. He pities the fears of his children. And then he also wrote about this verse. In the present tense, it carries the idea of of a continue. At this very moment, God is pitying us. Though he knows your trials will work for your good, he's pitying you. Though he knows that there is sin in your life which perhaps may require a rough discipline that will bring sanctification, he pities you. Though he can hear the music of heaven, Spurgeon wrote, the songs and the glees that will ultimately come of your present sighs and griefs, yet he still pities those groans and wails of yours. When Lazarus died, did Jesus know what he was going to do? 
Yeah. Yet he, he wept. He wept because he pitied the pain that his children were experiencing. God pities us, and that should, that should give us so much hope. When I think of this verse, man, sometimes I'll just be transparent with you. I fail so much, and, and, and I'm reading my Bible, and it just gives me all these instructions on how you know, to live and what I shouldn't do, what I should do, and so forth. And I, I just find myself failing that I, I can allow the devil to come into my life. But then now you look at this verse and I go, oh, no way. God, he loves me like a father who wants me to do good, who, want, who doesn't want me to sin, who doesn't want me to, to, to be in danger. But he can never stop loving me because he loves me like a father. He knows how weak I am. He says he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we struggle in this life. He knows that we have a propensity to sin, to quit, to doubt. He knows. That that word frame means that he knows how we're built. He didn't build us to sin. Sin has caused us to sin, but he knows. And and I was just thinking, you know, some of us, we we don't want to be pitied, especially us men. We don't want we to be pitied by anyone, but man, I want to be pitied by God because I need him. I need his pity. I need his compassion. I need his empathy. I was just thinking, you know, the dash between birth and death is getting shorter for many of us. And God knows that. That's what this verse is all about. He knows that we're only here for a little while. He knows that in this life we're going to struggle. Psalm 78, 38, and 39, but he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Why? Verse 39, for he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. And if that doesn't bring you hope, I don't know what will. Psalm 89, 47, remember how short my time is for what futility have you created and the children of men. We're short timers, guys. We're short timers. I told you about the verse that I, that I sent to my mother-in-law. Um, you know, Psalm 90, 10, the days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. How fast is life going? We don't know how much more longer we're going to be here. This 18-year-old kid is no longer with us anymore. So we can't spend time pitying ourselves, feeling bad for ourselves, allowing the devil to condemn us when we have a father who is willing to forgive us and be patient with us and love us with the love of a father. We're susceptible to illnesses. That's how we're weak. We're susceptible to aches, to pain, to disease, to coronaviruses. We're frail. But God knows that. And he pities us. He empathizes with us. He loves us in spite of that. He knows us so good that the Bible says that he knows every head on your head. I'm looking back at Kenny and he's like, that'll be easy for him. But the rest of us that have hair, he knows every head on your hair on your head. Benny's my, I'm Benny. Kenny's my brother, so I know he'll still love me. Jeremiah 1.5 tells us that before God formed us in the womb, he knew us. I remember a story that someone I knew told. He said that as a man, he, he took pride in mowing his lawn. I don't know if you're that kind of guy, but when you mold your lawn, he really wanted to have those straight lines, you know, those nice, beautiful lines that you see like on the baseball field when you're mowing your lawn, you know? And he's like, ah, I used to take pride in that. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to go, I did that, right? 
And he said, one day my son got a hold of a little lawnmower, a working lawnmower, and he saw me mowing the lawn, and he said, hey, Dad. And he came, and he started mowing the lawn, the lawn next to me. He says, and for a second, I thought, oh, man, there goes my straight lines. But then he remembered, oh, man, my son just wants to be with me. He just wants to do what I'm doing. And that's what God wants from us, guys. That's, that's all he wants, that, 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 that we be with him, that we do the best, even though he knows we're weak and we're going to fail, that we want to be like him, that we want to have a heart like him. Never mind the crooked lines. He just wants our heart, right? Look at verses 15 through 18. There's a huge difference between our frailty and God's eternal presence. It says, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant. And to those who remember his commandments to do them. So when you think of a flower, I buy my wife flowers. She says I don't buy them enough. But I sometimes do okay and I buy her flowers. But the very next week they're already like drooping. And that's us, huh? We're going to droop. No matter what. And God knows that. He knows our frailties. We can bank on his mercy no matter what. And then the, this issue of covenant, you know, in the Old Testament, they were under what covenant? The covenant of the law, which is a tutor, a barrier. It was a demonstration that they just couldn't keep the law and they needed to turn to God. But for us, we're on the other side. What's our covenant? Anybody know? We're under the covenant of grace. We're under the covenant of Jesus. Romans 6.14 says, for, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Manny was sharing on Thursday that he used to ask Ariel and Aaron when they were small, how was someone saved? And they knew it, man. They said, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then he said, what's the short answer? And they would just say, Jesus. That's our covenant. Jesus. Right? We can continue walking with confidence because our covenant is based on grace. Now, it's not a sin issue, it's a son issue, but that doesn't mean a sin won't cause issue. Right? It will, and, and, and that's why God is, is, is constantly trying to keep us from it. But I just think if you have the son, the work will confirm it. Do you have the son? It's too important of a question not to ponder. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Uh, again, Manny was sharing on Thursday that he saw a little kid, little, little kid wearing a shirt that said, number one rule, I make the rules. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of us, huh? You know, we're Christians, but we still think we make the rules. No, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and, and his kingdom rules over all. We need to submit for our own good. So then he closes, David, the same way that he started. He says, bless the Lord. But I think he also demonstrated the eternal reign of God. Look at what he does. He calls for a course in heaven and on earth. Verse 20, bless the Lord, you his angels, you who excel in strength, you who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. And then he joins the chorus. Bless the Lord, all my soul. 
But he, he, he finishes the, way, the same way he started by, by calling himself, bless God, bless him. Have blessings on your lips. Angels, well, in Isaiah 57, Revelation 4 we see that the angels are constantly blessing God's name. Huh? They're worshiping. Holy, holy, holy. We read in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God. So his creation is also worshiping. My neighbors have a parrot. Um, and every time I come out to throw the trash out or something, it goes, <laughs> and I'm like, me? <laughs> and then another neighbor walks by and he does the same thing. So I'm like, but the point I'm trying to make is that's God's creation. That is God's creation, worshiping God, declaring blessings upon God. And David recognizes that. He calls for the angels. He calls for creation. And then he says, all right. He gets in line and he finishes the psalm the same way that he started. Will you get in that chorus? I think you will if you make sure to always remember his benefits. Amen? Never forget.